Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your guest. I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this show to really talk about what it looks like to transform leaders and create humanized work environments. And so I speak to different guests, speak to different people from CEOs to HR leaders to forward thinking experts who are also passionate about this topic. And I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guests. I'm going to be speaking to Elizabeth Charles. And Elizabeth is a Senior Director of People and Culture at CNIB. She's an educator and writer, um, and she loves to really build inclusive leadership through innovation, transformation, and education. She's also a professor of HR at George Brown, and she's currently doing her PhD in social justice education with an emphasis on leadership and and intersectionality. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Lovely I'm, to see you. <laughs> I'm really excited to get into this conversation on a very snowy day in Toronto. Yes, cold and snowy, but we're inside, so it's all good. Yes. <laughs> it's beautiful to enjoy looking out the window when you're not driving in it. <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> Um, so Elizabeth, I always like to start uh, with our, our show to really give our guests an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. So talk to me a little bit around your career journey and what got you into the work that you're doing. Okay, um, great question. So I've been in uh, human resources or people and culture for over 20 years now. I've been saying that for the past, I don't know, however long, um, but over 20 years now, I like most HR people back in the day, you didn't choose HR, I didn't really even know what that was, right? But I know that I want, I knew that I wanted to get into a field that would allow me uh, to explore a lot of different areas, um, you know, uh, understanding people, uh, systems, how people interact with systems, and how to make things just better um, overall from that perspective. Uh, I worked in a variety of organizations and different leadership roles in human resources, um, and in the back of me, I always wanted to be an educator. So I always, uh, you know, looked for opportunities to do that. And a few years ago, um, I got the opportunity to uh, take a timeout from my profession. And I went back to, um, to do complete my uh, master's in education at OIZ. And I did that um, in uh, leadership in higher ed. And I loved it. And I said, when I go back into the workforce, which life brought me back into the workforce, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to go all the way and I'm going to pursue and get my PhD in it. So that's where you find me now, um, you know, working with a great organization such as CNIB in the role that I am, um, our mission, very mission driven, uh, which speaks a lot to, to what I've always wanted to get into. It's like a beautiful blend of HR, social justice and leadership, uh, which kind of rounds out everything that I've been doing. So that's kind of my journey. <laughs> Wow. Wow. And that's amazing when you get to have a chance like that um, to, to leave and go back and do your master's and then be able to take that and be able to encompass that in all that you're doing with the organizations. And so when you think about humanizing the workplace, um, you and I have had several discussions around this offline. And so I, I think that there's such an opportunity right now. I think that we're, we're at a little bit of a crossroads and this global pandemic has actually can be an opportunity for a reset and for organizations and individuals, actually, for that matter, to really take a step back and, and do that reset and ask themselves what it looks like to show up as both a human leader. Um, yeah. And from my perspective, when I say leader, we don't have to have a title to be a leader. We can all show up, right, as a leader. So what are some of the things that you would like to see more of when we think about humanizing the workplace? 
Oh, I love this question. I absolutely love it. I, I'm going to start with perspective. I think it's so important. All too often, um, you know, and we've learned this, <clears throat> excuse me, through our deep socialization to internalize a, a dominant perspective and to you know, uh, make it universal and then try and fit all other perspectives into that. And then if we're not fitting into that perspective or, or the, through that view of the world, uh, we then become problematized and our true selves don't blossom and we can't be authentic. And we're trying to fit into these pegs that only work for a very small portion of our population. And I think it's so important. And as a people and culture leader, um, and you don't even have to be in HR, as you said, to be a people and culture leader. You don't, titles don't matter. Um, when you're dealing with people and you're interacting in any um, uh, form, be it work, social, what have you, really taking time to understand somebody else's perspective is so important. And then the other thing that I feel is really important as well through, through you know, my, my um, research and just my practical experience dealing with a variety of different leaders and a variety of different types of industries is really um, taking time to understand bias and being aware of one's bias. And not only being aware of one's bias uh, for their selves, but also how they're coming across and how they take up these biases in interactions with other people, right? In how they come to think about other people and how they speak to other people and how, be it good or bad or, or sideways, right? So really, <clears throat> excuse me, having that, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> That ability to, to, to stop and self-reflect and to take in other perspectives, I think it's so important. Um, and it's an important basis upon which other uh, strategies can be built to really bring back the human, right? Into, or the people portion into people interactions and people dealing. So I think it's very important. Absolutely. And I think um, right now is such a great example of what's going on in the world. There can be so many differing opinions. And now more than ever, I think it's about really um, some of the, the, the really important qualities that I think about is listening. And that means deeply, deeply listening, not listening to then say what you want to say so that you're not actually really listening. You just want them to finish what they're saying. So you can say what you already know you're going to say. So really, right. really deeply listening to that individual in front of you, um, coming from a lot of curiosity. And then the other one for me has been compassion. Like, what does it look like to see that human just because they don't necessarily see things the same way as you see things? How can you still see that human in front of you so that you can start to understand one yes. another? What shows up for you, Elizabeth, in terms of some of the ways we can help create that shift for leaders to get them thinking about different perspectives? Um, so this time could not have been uh, more, how do you say, and I hate how it's going to sound, <clears throat> perfect time for all of this to happen. We're in the middle of a, of a COVID pandemic. We're also um, heightened awareness nationally of this global call to action to be more inclusive in all that we do. And, you know, with that, all of that has come a variety of experiences. And I think what it needs to really make us understand as just people and human beings leading with the human, it's so important to try and um, understand when we're learning how to, to uh, take perspective, try to really understand, you know, what is it that I need to unlearn? What is it that I am too comfortable with, too complicit with, right? And what is it that makes me uncomfortable in terms of learning how to take other perspectives? So I always say perspective taking is not easy if you're truly taking it. 
And so being um, comfortable with becoming uncomfortable is when true learning can happen, like that third space of learning where you try and unravel, okay, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I know it's shifting something, right? And it's all about, and I always equate it to this, when you're truly changing culture, which starts with ourselves, it's like lifting up roots. It's not going to be comfortable, but we know when we lift up those roots and plant them somewhere else, there's going to be a lot of shifting. There's going to be a lot of, oh my gosh, what's going on here? But we've got to lift up those roots because they haven't been working for everyone, right? The way in which we do things, the way in which organizations have, do, have done things. In the way in which we categorize certain people's, people as leaders and others as not. Um, and I think it's really important when we're building perspective that we start to say to ourselves, you know what? I got to start with myself. I got to start to figure out what is it that I need to learn and unlearn and what makes me uncomfortable and lean into those spaces of being uncomfortable and figure out why am I uncomfortable? And it's okay because it's taking me on my journey to truly embrace, embrace different perspectives, right? I think if we can start with that, truly start with that, then we can be on our journey authentically to start to embrace very um, purposely other people's view of the world and experiences of the world. Yeah, it reminds me so much, um, and I'm, I'll be interested in your perspective on this when it comes to um, inclusive uh, leadership and also around um, DEI and belonging that I, I think a big part of it, and I see it a lot in my work from my end when I do the emotional intelligence and mindfulness, yeah. I see that as being such a big part for the individual because they're learning to like, how do I work with these big emotions that are showing up for, for me when I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. And that's a big piece of emotional intelligence, right? Is just recognizing. And so many adults, uh, I talk about this a lot. Like it, it, it warms my heart to see the kind of dialogues that they're having now in schools where my kids will come home and say, Oh, we were talking about big feelings and this is what we do. There was this language did not exist when I was younger going into school. So I understand for a lot of adults, even this piece of like, well, what do I even do with this discomfort? It feels so intense and helping people understand like, oh, that's okay. And you're, it's not judging the emotions, being with the emotions, allowing them to be allowing to them to then be processed. Cause a lot of times yeah. that intensity, when you think about emotion, it's actually only 60 to 90 seconds, but at that moment, it feels too much for that person to handle. So they say, forget it. I'm not going here. I'm pushing this down. I'm moving along. Right. Right. And then it comes up in it's ugly form somewhere else. If you don't deal yes. with it. I agree. Yes. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you need to embrace it. Right. Yeah. And, and as people leaders, we really need to embrace that. I mean, I love it when I have, I hear my colleagues say, you know what, as we are being called upon as people and cultural leaders to lead um, organizations through these this different world and navigate, you know, COVID and the new reality and the social the the uh, the global call to be more inclusive. What does that all look like? Everyone's turning to people and culture. Everyone's turning to us, right? And we don't all have the answers. We don't know right yet, right? And it's okay. And I almost want to say to HR folks, it's okay if you don't have the answer. You have to work on yourselves first. You have to do unlearning first. And so when I have colleagues that say to me, you know, I'm, I know we got to lead this stuff, but I'm taking the time to really unlearn stuff and really shift and really embrace and really get uncomfortable. It just makes my heart just warm because I'm like, that's where it needs to start with. It needs to start with us, right? Don't push that down. Bring that up. 
Yes. Yes. And it's recognizing this isn't, this is a journey. This isn't like something that you're going to finish in one week or two weeks. Like this is an ongoing unraveling, opening up, learning, unlearning that is going to take you. And so it's recognizing this isn't um, these, cause we don't want any more of these. Okay. We're just going to put these band-aids on short-term. No, no. It's the longer right. term. And I love the analogy that you used of the roots, because that feels the same thing when we're getting at the roots, which I, I say a lot, we're getting at the root cause, but I like your analogy for more. I'm going to be bringing that more in <laughs> um, that then of course that's going to take, it's a, it's a much longer process. However, when you're more proactive and take the longer process in the long run, you get the long-term meaningful change. Absolutely. And, and I think people need to be kind to themselves and to others as we're moving through this journey together. As long as we're moving, we need to really be kind to ourselves that we're going to make mistakes along this route, along this journey, this path. And you're right. It's not going to be short term. It might outlive all of us. Because when we look back, this has been these roots have been planted centuries ago. And so we're only not we're only but some folks are only now coming to understand, wait a minute, there's some consequences, some real consequences to how things have been done in the past. And we really need to shift differently. And then there's other folks who are thinking, yeah, you know, we've been waiting for this, let's all kind of do this together. We're all interconnected in this. And so if we're kind to ourselves and to others, as we're trying to move along this journey, on different trajectories, knowing that it's as a result of our deep socialization, then I think we can really make those, those critical changes to change culture, not only within workplaces, but just in society. So yeah, I think the self-compassion, kindness, and grace is so important because if not, you can get stuck in that shame cycle and then you can't yes. get out of it and make change, right? Because you're just staying in that. And um, I remember another guest was talking about it then for sometimes when it was around um, unconscious bias, bias, diversity, and that kind of stuff, the person who's experiencing the lack of, of diversity is feeling like they have to make that person who's going through the hard time feel, feel, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's like, no, 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 yeah. that's not your <laughs> yeah, role no. to have to play. No way. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. not what it, right. It's that's yeah. not, that's not what you need to be doing. So I, yeah, I think that the grace and self-compassion is, is super important. Um, something that else that, that comes up for me when you think about, uh, when you think about organizations and, and HR and their role in HR, and I, I'm so glad that as a professor that you're getting to help those future leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes HR gets, uh, a bad rap and that's because there are some people who are practicing HR, perhaps in, in not as a holistic of a way and right. maybe super focused in one part of HR, which of course is like, I'm not ever going to say there should be no risk. There should be no compliance or processes or anything like that, of course, because they're also in the business of making sure that they're cognizant of risk and things like that. But I think we also need the other side. And, and so what do you think are some of the things that you would like to see more of, um, as we start to develop those new, um, the, the new individuals coming into HR and practicing as HR practitioners and leaders? I love this. I love this question. And, and I'll share it this way. I tell all my students, um, HR is not black and white. There, it, 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 you're dealing with people. And so there's so many shades of gray and purple and blues and yellows, just, just so much, right? Um, so if you get comfortable with that, you're on the right path to, to achieving success within your career in HR. 
And I always say to them too, you know, while you're taking these courses in HR, you might say, it's not really my cup of tea, but everything that you're going to learn is going to be transferable to maybe marketing or any other communications, any other field that you want to get into because you're dealing with people. And at the end of the day, when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with a variety of, of, of situations, a variety of challenges and of joys, right? So allow yourself to be curious about that. And I always say, you got to lead with your curiosity and you got to lead with your compassion. And so, yes, compliance is very important, but how you take up compliance and how you apply them, you're not applying them to a robot, right? Or to a machine or to an object. You're applying them to people who have true feelings, who have a family to take care of, who have baggage and stuff that they're dealing with. So really lead with your compassion and really embrace the variety of shades of colors and situations that you'd be dealing with. Um, and not one, one situation will fit or one solution will fit all the situation. So be open to that and allow yourself to really um, do a lot of self-reflection. I tell my students that all the time. I said, this job is not easy. This if you turn it into a profession, it's not easy. You need to really have your outlets where you can just close the door and be like, ah! <laughs> what just happened, right? Um, not only for yourself, but, but to support other people um, so that you can be better when you go out there. So a lot of taking that time, time out for yourself is so important when you're dealing with people. Um, but being kind to yourself is so important as well. So that's kind of where I start to lay the ground root, root um, work. And then we kind of, okay, let's dig in. <laughs> yes. I think that's so important. Um, I'm married to an engineer, so I'm very familiar with the black and white thinking. <laughs> let's come in the middle. Let's be with the grays. He's like, there's no need for grays. Let's go right. And I'm like, no, because life's not like that. Especially when we're talking about parenting things. I'm like, no, it's not so black and white. Um, and you know, as you started to talk about that, Elizabeth, it, it's m making me think of an important topic that I'd love to get your insight on as well. So a pattern that I have noticed because I do a lot of leadership executive coaching and I do support some HR leaders. And then of course, leaders in different areas of the business as well. And I have seen a pattern around, um, I believe HR, if anybody deserves to have a coach, it's them because there's a safe space to talk through. There's a lot of difficult stuff that shows up in that job. And a lot of HR leaders, I also um, encourage them to have a community where they can speak and talk through with their, their peers and, and mentors and things like that. But I also think from a coaching perspective, I just noticed there can be a little bit of a gap around HR being so good at advocating and trying to get leadership development for others in the organization, but somehow not take a step back. And I love that you brought up self-reflection, not take a step back and recognize why wouldn't I not only deserve, but need, because to me, I work with, it's the, it's the high performers, high potential. So it's not, it's not because there's a, um, you know, I'm not being brought in because this person we might need to let go. So let's try some performance stuff. It's more like, how can we go from good to great and continuously evolve and get better? And when you have somebody else working with you, you just, you're less limited. You go to places you wouldn't go on your own. What yeah. do you think that gap is that prevents so many HR leaders from getting that same support? I think we 
we just have gotten accustomed to being the ones that people just come to immediately when they have a problem, when they need guidance, when they need coaching, when they need something, right? So it, it almost becomes you get caught in this cycle. Okay, well, that's my job. Let's go. Let's go. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's, okay, so let's, let's see what we've done in the past. Let's pull from some, uh, you know, good practices. Let's do that. We just don't have time or, or even stop to think, wait a minute, <laughs> how do I keep going like this without burning out? And let me tell you, there's a lot of burnout in the profession, a lot. And when you don't have that network of people who uh, you work with, who can truly understand, like you just got to have, a, you just give them a look and they get it <laughs> because they're in your profession. They understand with that look, I get the kind of day that you've had, right? Um, and only when you're in that space can you have that, that authentic interaction where I get you. You don't even need to say anything. I understand, right? But you know, in those moments, you've got the support and that if you need to share, you can. And if you need to, you know, if, if you need to have like a virtual hug or a virtual high five, we can give it to each other because we're living each other's, we're living the dream basically, right? Um, so I think we just get so caught up in being those individuals. Um, not only who put ourselves out because we take up this profession, this profession dealing with people, leading you know organizations, leading executives, but we're always automatically the ones where if something new is coming down the pipeline, your HR leader will be or your people and culture leader will be the one that you turn to. It's like, okay, we're, <laughs> we're up, and what is it that we're being turned to about? Like, what's going on, right? So, I, I really and, and I loved how you brought up this, the the topic because um, I think. We've always known this in the profession, that we need a space for HR to truly be, because it's such a heavy job when you get into it. You're dealing with terminations, like you said. You're dealing with, you know, uh, people's baggages. You're dealing with people's joys. You're dealing with a lot of stuff, right? Um, and nothing has made that more evident than dealing with uh, COVID and just the amount of, of um, reliance organizations have had to have on their people and culture talents, right? On, on HR departments to say, what do we do now? And <laughs> when it first hit, we're like, we're all in the same boat together. We really don't have anything to pull from, but okay, we'll figure this out. Don't worry, we got this. And we shut the door like, what are we doing? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> okay, let's, let's, right? So nothing has really brought that to fruition than the, than the pandemic. Um, and also just kind of all of 2020, right. And, and what it's brought and what it's going to lead us to going forward. So need to take time to really focus on your HR yourself, uh, building your, your strength and really, um, giving you the time to breathe. And, and I think too, when HR we're so, because people turn to us so much and we're so used to it, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to make a mistake, right? And I think that's so important. We have to give each other some, some leeway to say, listen, I'm trying to think these things through. I can't quite get it, but it's okay. You don't need to have the solutions right away. Um, I have flourished under um, or with, with uh, individuals who I've worked with in a variety of organizations who, when they take the approach to engaging with HR, their best talent comes forth. Uh, you feel that you can truly be authentic self and just be, okay, I could do this. I'm supported. I can shine. And I know that's worked for me and it's definitely worked for others. So that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, I think that's, um, I, I think the whole, um, I, that shows up with a lot of my clients and it's so interesting when I start to, what I'll do is I'll remove them from it and say, okay, so I'm curious, what would you say to somebody else? 
Oh, I would say they don't need to have the answers. It's okay. Find the research. So I'm just, I'm curious how come it's okay for them, but it's not okay for you, right? There can just be this, this, um, a lot of pressure and this sense of responsibility that they're supposed to have all of the answers. And you know, what has been interesting to me, um, specifically, I, I, there was a couple of different CHROs actually, for that matter, who were, were commenting when they were getting an investments for some executive coaching for some other people on the C-suite. Um, it was fine, but then they had said, I don't think it's appropriate for me to have invested in that way. So I, I know the importance of it. So I pay for it out of pocket. And I was, I was so confused. I'm like, I'm sorry, you are entitled to that just as much as everybody else on that. It almost feels like, and it's kind of goes with the same theme of the sense of responsibility that, oh, because I'm an HR and I understand so much about the people and culture and transformation and personal development, I'm supposed to be at a place that I should not be getting invested in that way. I'm going to have to pay for that on my own. It's almost like a tap on my hand. Like I'm kind of getting, I'm in a little bit in trouble. I should have already been at that place. So can't expect the organization to pay for it. I'm going to have to pay for it. There's a little bit of that. And I, I think in this discussion right now, I want to tell HR leaders, anyone who's listening, I give you permission and you are entitled just like every other person uh, every other right. in your organization. That's right. That's right. We got to stop feeling that we have to know everything about everything. CEOs don't need to know everything about everything. <laughs> That's why they have amazing staff, right? That know what they know about their specific field. So we really, and, and when you're dealing with, humans and you're dealing with changes at a rapid pace, how are you going to be able to know everything? That's imp- you're, you're, you're fooling yourself, really. You really are. So um, we just need to really take some time out and say, we need help. We need, um, you know, to level set. And we really need to embrace what we don't know and be okay with that. I think too, and if I may, um, there's this whole notion where people can't be seen as, and you alluded to this, not knowing um, for fear of being, um, you know, mis- or labeled incorrectly as being incompetent, right? And I find there's such strength when people say, I really don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to find out and I'm resourceful enough and I know how to get the answers. If we don't have the answers, we'll piece it together. Listen, COVID showed all of us, um, some of us more than others, that we really don't know the answer to stuff. So we better figure it out. How did we do that, right? We did it by building things that, you know, we never had to build before. We did it by collaborating. We did it by being vulnerable, trusting, and just like just going for it. How, so why can't we just do that in our daily lives as HR professionals? We don't have all the answers and that's okay. Some of the answers we do have and we got this, but we're not supposed to be expected to know everything. And if you don't, there's such strength and competency in knowing that and in admitting that. You know, I really agree with you because I, I think about those leaders and the ones who actually said, you know what, that's a really great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to look into that for you because I don't think I can give you, a, um, I could give you a really short answer. That's not actually informed. And I'd like to come back to you with the, with a, a more re- well-researched answer. I have more respect for that individual than the person who says always, oh, yes, I know that. Oh, yes, I know that. Well, I'm like, I don't 
I don't think you do. Right. So it's, it's letting them, letting them off the hook that it's, if every single question was, Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know. Okay. Then we have a bit of an issue. That's a challenge, but that's not what I'm ever seeing. Right. It's, 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 it's happening once in a while. And I really love the example you gave with the CEO because it's a hundred percent. That's the CEO leading the organization. He is by no no expectation to know answers to every single thing. Not only he has advisors, he has consultants he goes to, then you have the people he surrounds himself with. And I, I remember yeah. so many CEOs, um, Oprah, I remember her saying this too. She said, listen, I surround myself with people who are smarter than me, who know things about things I know nothing about. And that's what the best leaders do. So um, I think it's the same thing with HR. You're also surrounding yourself with people who know other parts of the business that you can go to them and say, and have that really great relationship and trust and say, you know, I really want to make sure. And and this is one of the things I think so important with HR is like really getting to know the business. So you can go to that person and say, Hey, I really want to understand this part of your business. I think this might be what would work best for you, but I recognize that you actually know your part of the business better. So I want to get your feedback first. Do you think this would support you best? And then they might say, right. I actually, no, this would work better. That's right. That's right. And and one of the things I always tell um, my students early on when they're embarking on the career in HR, I always say to them, you know, after I tell them what I had shared earlier, I always say it's so important for uh, building your credibility and also for your self um, awareness um, is to really spend time and quality time, not a day here, not a weekend there, but like maybe months on end in the operations, understanding, you know, um, what they deal with. If it's a particular department and let's say it's a 24 seven organization spend time not only in the morning or during the day in that particular department but maybe at night because the issues are different really get to know and embrace your organization and to that end find then an industry that's going to um be of interest to you because nothing's worse than getting into hr and hating the environment or the organization that you're in it's like oh gosh really i want to learn about this no i want to get out of here right Find, find an industry that you love that really is just like, wow, always wanted to learn about this stuff because then that curiosity guide you to want to learn more about the, or, or the operations. And that will make you so much better as a trusted HR advisor or a trusted people and culture advisor, right? Because now people are going to come to you and say, okay, you don't need to know everything about our business, but you understand us. So help us figure this out. And together, we will come up with solutions. You give me your input based on your expertise. I'm going to give you my input. And we're going to make a stew and then come out with the best solution, given the circumstances and the context, right? So it's that partnership that's so important. But how can you have partnership if you only know your little bubble? Get out of the bubble. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it's so so much more fun and interesting too, right? Because you're understanding. We all want to get out of our bubbles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite literally, yes, yes. Um, and actually, as you start to talk about the bubble, um, it makes me think about, you know, some of the things that are happening over the last eight or nine months around organizations that are actually like stepping forward and really getting it right and making some really good choices, I think, during COVID and a lot of this change is happening. There's such an opportunity to show up from a place of, of compassion and, and really be thinking about employees and being whole person focused. And then there's some organizations um, when we start to think about working remotely, 
they were already struggling with working remotely. And now this is happening. They have no choice. And some of the reasons why they were struggling with working remotely in the first place are now showing up with people working remotely and not necessarily having the levels of trust. And so what are, what have been some of the patterns you've noticed? And I'd love to hear even about some of the things that you've experienced at CNIB, because I know you, um, you, you really understand the, the culture aspect. Um, so maybe we start there around what you're noticing really works well. And then what you've noticed in terms of some of the gaps around some, how some organizations are not really being there for the people. And it's, it's not really recognizing some of the struggles. Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I, I can say that um, within our department uh, or within our organization at CNIB, we were one of the early, um, how do you say, adapters, adopters of being agile, being flexible. We had uh, policies and a culture whereby, um, you know, we had flexible work hours, flexible space, um, because we recognized early on that when you're dealing with people, right, in an organization, you're dealing with different types of people. Not everyone, you know, is, you know, male, we'll just do some stereotyping, or male with a partner at home and 2.5 kids and, you know, right, and they're the breadwinner and all this stuff. No, we got so many different uh, varieties of folks who are dealing with stuff, you know, personally, familially, um, obligations, you know, wanting to go back maybe to school to further themselves, as well as still do amazing work within their organization. How best do we cultivate that amazing talent and keep them and want them? We recognized early on that we need to have flexibility. We need to understand. And that's where we, we talk about perspective. You know, some, some flexible work arrangements might not work for others, but it's worked for a variety of different others who have embraced this and gone on to flourish in such an environment. So when 2020 hit, we just, okay, we, we got this. We're agile already. We already have flex place, flex space uh, programs. Let's just do it. Just go where you need to go. Yeah, there were a few things that we needed to adjust to, but because of our deep rooted culture in already, you know, trusting people know how to work remotely, um, understanding that we get the best out of people and we trust them and let them work the way in which they flourish, right? The best way. Um, and, and our mission driven organization continues to do amazing work. We get the best out of people. So I think that's it, it's really the trust factor. And yes, it will take time to build that culture of trust, to build that culture of, you know, let's try this differently. Let's not, you know, um, think that people are wasting their time and not doing the work they need to, to do because they're not in front of me and I'm not seeing them log on or whatever all the time. Let's build that trust in, in all that we do. You will get the best out of people. And that's why I, I've heard about other organizations struggling, even amidst COVID and having to still work remotely. You know, when um, a bit of the, the, um, the, uh, the, what do you call it, ban was lifted over the summer, people were like, no, every, we need to have our people back in the workplace. But why? You don't need to do your job to be physically there every single day. So why this pressure? Let people be. <laughs> I always say that. Just let them be and trust them. They'll do their best work for you. 
Well, and I think what you alluded to there, this is really important too, that there isn't. And I think the more organizations understand that there isn't a one size fits all because somebody who really works well, where maybe they start a little bit later and work later or someone else starting really early and going both different family situations that one works really well for one and not the other. So why not meet people where they are and have that flexibility, right? I get that there's certain things where you have to have overarching processes for sure. But I think there's a lot of ones where the agile work environments actually have that flexibility and can meet the needs of employees and so much more loyalty when that person feels like, oh, right, that organization cares about me. They understand my unique situation. They're not trying to say, well, this is what this person does. Well, there's nothing about me that's the same as that person, right? It's That's right. It's. I think it's such a, it's kind of like I remember too where people like, I know there can be some value in understanding different generations for sure. There's certain things they've all experienced, but I've also seen it used very negatively where for so long, all the millennials, all of the stuff I'm like, listen, all those things that you're putting on that list, I'm a Gen Xer and I want all those things too. So am I a millennial now, right? Like, (laughs) I don't think it works that way, right? It's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You need to have flexibility. It's so important. Leaders need to learn that the perspective that we've just come to take for granted as being the only way to do things or a very limited way to do things, and we've normalized that very limited way, is only benefiting a very small portion of our workforce. And if we just look around, our workforce is extremely diverse. So I would ask myself, if I was one of those leaders, what am I doing? What is our organization doing to not get the best and the, the, um, the, get the, get the true authentic um, um, selves of our, of our workforce exemplified in all that we do? What are we not doing to meet them to your point where they are um, and, and have them flourish? And then I would say, once you ask yourself that question, then you reach out to them and say, what more can we be doing differently? Because there's going to, and I'll bet you, there's going to be a list of stuff that we can be doing differently as people leaders and just as leaders in organizations, right? We're not cookie cutters. We can't be. (laughs) And communicate. Don't ask the questions and then do nothing with what the information that they give you. Then it feels even more demotivating because it's like, oh, you asked me and then I shared with you and then no changes happen. And I never heard from you again. Right. So it's like, I I know this is a thing where some people can struggle with the employee surveys, which I do think there's some value if it's being used well to get some really good data and and do something Mm -hmm. with the data, but it's part two, which is do something with the data and also communicate back because you might not be able to do things in all areas, but explain why you're not doing this area and what your goals are to try to improve that area and communicate it back. And, um, It's something that I've seen too often where there's beautiful values and guiding principles, but the the behaviors that are associated with those guiding principles are not what we're seeing. So it's a great example at CNIB where it's um, what we're not just lip service, what we're saying that we we value and that we believe and what our mission is about, because when you treat your employees really well, they're going to go out there and treat customers and everybody else really well. That's right. They're going to live the mission. They're going to do right what they need to be doing. The other thing I wanted to just uh, base just to um, um, go a little bit further based and build what you said, it really is about the lived experience. And we talk about the lived experience as a mission-based organization. 
it's important that, yes, we gather all this really good information on employee surveys or what have you, right? So this quantitative data. But then what we do with that quantity of data, we need to then go back with that data and put it in front of the individuals who generated that for us and say, help us to understand this. What is the lived experience with this data? Because if we're going to build policies and procedures and just programs to get the best out of our employees, we need to understand from them what their interpretation of that data is. So again, it's the lived experience. So it's, I always say it's the, so if I go back in my school days time or my current days, school days time, um, quantitative needs to also be married with qualitative data, right? Um, and then when we have them share with us the lived experience, then we can say, okay, the programs I'm developing, we developed, right? You asked for these programs. They work for us, they work for you, and then they're just going to flourish from there. So it's really important that we, as you say, I loved how you said that, meet people where they are because we're ultimately no matter what you're in you're in the people business right you're dealing with people you're, unless you're working entirely with robots so <laughs> that day doesn't happen I we don't need that we don't need all no. robots AI has some value I'm not against AI um, there's certain things that are good for AI there are certain things right. that I do not want to see replaced with AI that's right um, and I know you're a big believer in innovation and maybe um, I, I, I knew it was going to be like this I never want to wrap up because we have such amazing <laughs> conversations um, what would you like to see a little bit more of in, in terms of innovation because I know that's something that you're passionate about as well um, if you could uh kind of give some, some words of wisdom to organizations around innovation, how, what would you like to see them do more of? What, what, what's yeah. the opportunities? I think the opportunity um, for me, uh, at which I would uh, share with other organizations is ask yourself when it comes to the, the, the decision-making, who is not at this table? Whose voices are we not hearing? Who's not here? Who, um, whose perspective are we constantly centering? Um, who are we stereotyping in the decisions that we make, right? When you, again, tough questions, uncomfortable questions, but when you ask those questions, you're most likely going to have a list of folks, perspectives, experiences that you haven't considered, and therefore you need to consider, right, before you do. All too often in the last few years, we've seen organizations, you know, come out with these huge campaigns, spend lots of money only to offend a certain group of people because, right, they didn't take into consideration, oh, that, you know, there's history behind, you know, certain ads, right, and certain, um, like Gucci, right, when they came out with, with the black face sweater, for example, right, um, there's all sorts of types of, of stereotypes, negative stereotypes, um, we're missing people when, when Coke didn't have certain names, right, and their whole name campaign, um, who are we missing? So, if you only have even sorry, I have to go back. Like when you have certain, um, you know, cosmetic companies that have diff don't have enough shades to meet a lot of different people, right? So examples of that and many more. It's because they don't have they're they're missing voices at the table at the decision making table, and so I think if you for me the biggest thing I would um, implore organizations to do is start with that. Whose voice are we missing? But not only whose voice are we missing, whose perspective are we always centering? right? Mm -hmm. in, in, in the final cut. And if we start to say, okay, we did this slightly different to this company, but in essence, it's the same thing, then you need to go back because some, you're missing something. We're so all different. So how can we keep producing the same thing, just slightly different? No, go back. You're missing something. So 
Um, and it, again, it's roots, right? Lifting. So that having those deep discussions, not going to be easy, but you're going to have a better product, better experience, and you're going to be, you know, um, received better overall once you do that. And, and no matter what line of work you take on. So mm-hmm. that's my advice. Mm. I think that's so important that I think so often later on when you do see these ads or things that they just did not, it feels so tone deaf. You're asking yourself like, who was in this room <laughs> creating this campaign because they're, it, it's so tone deaf. So it's, it's very obvious that um, they weren't getting enough diverse perspectives. And I think that's such a, um, a beautiful reminder around how we can, such an opportunity, right? And it also makes me think like with everything, like when you start to have more diverse perspectives in the room, the opportunities and possibilities just get so much bigger because it's, there can be so much group think, right? Yeah. And now you bring some other people and it's like, oh, had you considered this? And, and, and I love so many of the, um, the people who speak to the fact around like conflicts when it's being done in a positive way is incredibly positive, right? When it's done in a safe way where people are being able to hear each other's voices and have these, these conversations and dialogues to me, it's like, if you were at this level, people can't see me right now who are listening, but if you could see me, it's like you're at a five and you're bringing it to a 10, right? It starts to just, you co-create something so much more powerful. So much more powerful. And people want that. Like there has been research done that shows even with movies or, or anything, people want the diverse perspective. They want something different than the same old, um, you know, same old uh, play or the same old ending or the same, right. They want something different because we're all different and we all need to really see ourselves represented in the world in which we're, we're here. And we're, we're, we're told that we need to, um, engage with. So there's so much opportunities. And I think once people realize that, you know, you, it's not about discount, discounting those whose uh, perspective we don't already take. No, it's about including that and more and others. It's not about eliminating. It's about adding to, right? So Yes. Abundance, not scarcity. (laughs) That's right. There's a lot. (laughs) There's more than enough to go around. Tons. (laughs) More than enough. I just want to give you an opportunity as we close off today's conversation to just leave whatever shows up for you right now in this moment as your final thought with the audience. So um, I think just as we kind of figure out what our new normal is going to be in the next few months, year ahead, Um, I think we just need to lead with compassion, be kind to ourselves, be kind to others, be curious, and just start to get on, start to be comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. I think once we lead with that, um, then you'll, you'll be amazed at how many opportunities present itself, and just how, um, how much you can stretch, not only your imagination, but just the reach of all that you do. That's so critically important. Um, and, and that's what I'll kind of leave with. Um, yeah, that's what I'll leave with. Yes. Thank you so much for being here today, Elizabeth, so much rich, rich insight that I know is going to be helpful for everybody listening. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation. Thank you again. (laughs) Thank you. And for everybody who's listening, please go on and and rate the podcast and write comments and go onto my website, kristenharcourt.com and get more involved in the dialogue and discussion. And I'll have in the show notes, more information around Elizabeth, reach out to Elizabeth, get to know her. Um, There's so much opportunity for all of us to learn from one another. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye.